أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله إن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول My respected friends, dear brothers and listeners, Rasulullah amongst the last signs of Qiyamah speaks about the status of holding on to the Iman or one's Iman. When Rasulullah mentions Sayyati al-Nas, a time will come upon people, Al-Qabir, the person who holds on to their Iman. It's like a person who's holding on to a live ember, a live coal. And the Mufassirin mentioned that you see it's no ordinary coal. There's different levels of heat that you find in charcoal, different levels of heat that you find in different fuel items that we use. And when it is now burning hot, as they say, with a glowing red ember inside there. But on top there's like a coating of white. Wherein we identify that now is the exact and the right time to put your deep red meats inside there. Because this is when it's at its hottest. And when the grill is at its best, that's Jabba. When it's at its hottest. So Rasulullah says that holding on to one's Iman will be like holding on to a live ember. That you will see people that you see will see the evening as a believer and see the morning as a disbeliever. And on the other side, see the morning as a believer, see the evening as a disbeliever. In other words, within the spans, 
The, the conclusion is that within the spans of a few hours, they will lose their iman. And that's how it will be. And we are living in such a time from every angle. So this is what our Nabi says. Regarding the word iman itself, that where Rasulullah describes iman sometimes, it is not necessarily referring to the la ilaha illallah, the only iman, or the acceptance of iman that we know, but it is also often associated things that are resultant of that iman. Like where Rasulullah says that iman is 70 to 80 branches. Not all of that is la ilaha illallah. That is the apex, that is the highest. But then he also includes certain actions. Like you see something harmful on the pathway, you remove it. That is also a branch of iman. And not only actions, attitudes are also part of a person's iman. Conduct is part of a person's iman. Al-haya'u shu'batun min al-iman. Hence, Rasulullah describes in some instances, Iman as something which is very broad. Not just the acceptance of La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, but also the acceptance of norms, the practices of actions, all of that constitutes the Iman that must readily accept. If a person is deficient in one of these branches, then we would say that your iman in that capacity may be deficient. You're still a Muslim. You're still a believer. You still believe in La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. But you have got issues in this particular department. Nonetheless, for a personal believer, they should understand that my iman comprises not only of my recitation of the kalima, but there are certain conducts, norms, and acceptances as well as practices that are demanded of my deen. Al-Hayaa'u Shu'batun Min Al-Iman. Coming back, where Rasulullah sallallahu says that a time will come to hold on to a person's iman, will be like holding on to a live coal. Many ulama mention it's not necessarily that a person will not be a reciter of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. They will recite it. They will identify as a Muslim. But norms and traits and acceptances will creep inside the individual or the community that will render them deficient in important facets and focuses of Iman. Although a person may still say, I'm a Muslim, but because of the issues, there is a genuine fear that an individual may have accepted something as normal and acceptable that rendered, although nobody will pronounce on it because that's not the job to go about pronouncing on the Iman or the lack of Iman of anybody, but in the reality of the individual, they Acceptance of certain norms brings them out of the pale of Islam. That's what it means, Al-Qabid Al-Jamar. That's so pronounced, so, um, you know, so popular that these norms will now become that even if you ask a person on the street who knows nothing about that particular counterculture, and maybe not their father or their grandfather would have accepted it, but you ask the 20 and the 30 year old who's in college, who's in university, who's in high school, who's not even a Muslim, something that would have been, though it's not a Muslim culture, they would come to a point of being lukewarm about it. I don't do it, but you know what, if other people want to do it, let them go ahead and let them do it. We've seen that very same trend with zina and adultery. 
that there isn't a single culture in the world, whether it is a culture based in what we call you know, the principles of Islam or the prophetic principles, those who subscribe to uh, Islam or Judaism or, or Christianity, or whether it was traditional type of beliefs, not only here in Africa, but in Asia, North America, First Nation people, what we would refer to as the Red Indians, etc. They're First Nation people. No introduction whatsoever to the faiths that were common in the Mediterranean part of the world. But all of them felt, you know what, you can't just interact with a person how you wanted to. There has to be the formality of marriage. There has to be this. There has to be a social acceptance of the two clans. What was this? Although we wouldn't call it Islamic uh, you know, Sharia to the T, there would be that acceptance of what now would be considered a culture of marriage. But then you find a slow erosion of even that and even this to a point that the world has reached a time wherein one does not know or the average person is so confused that whether it is Adam and Eve or whether it is Adam and Steve. And we live in such a time. And it's come to South Africa. It's come to South Africa in a big way. And it's about, it's about time that we look at it. We look at it from a way what we can do as a community. We understand this here very well, that that is a global culture, much more bigger than South Africa, who's got problems of ESCOM, who's got problems of potholes. All of a sudden, this now becomes also a national issue here, that we have got to enforce this, and we have got to do this without necessarily saving people from cholera. No, we've got to do this here first. This is our priority. Forget about clean drinking water, forget about keeping the lights on, forget about the, the national highway, forget about the transnet, forget about all these things here. No, we've got to worry about this here because this is a national issue. And still true, Alhamdulillah, even amongst non-Muslim communities, we still see that resistance. Many people ask that what should be our take on the Ugandan government? We all say Alhamdulillah. They've taken the right stance. Whatever pressure was on them by their local NGOs, by international governments, by the, by the ambassadors themselves, the fact that they have criminalized what every nation in the world has criminalized and put a penalty towards it, Alhamdulillah, at least somebody on the continent has stood up with a voice of reason. You know, you heard the story of the, 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 what's this, the emperor's clothes. You know the emperor's clothes? There was this emperor, there was this king. Fanciful type of character, fanciful type of person. Every type of garment there on the market he wants to buy and he wants to wear. Two swindlers, two swindlers come to him and say, listen here, Mr. King, we are master tailors, but the type of cloth and the type of material we use, only very intelligent people can see that material. But if you're dumb and you're not intelligent, you won't be able to see that material. But the king doesn't even want to admit. Oh, where's the material? Show it. They're showing empty air. They're showing their hands in front of them. They're showing nothing. No material here. But the king doesn't want to admit that if I tell them I can't see this, and all my courtiers say they can't see this here, we're admitting that we are dumb people. So therefore, they carry on busy, you know, running the spindle mill and running the sewing machine or whatever, sewing nothing but taking money from the king until the day comes that the king is now going to parade. He's very smart clothing of nothing. Nothing. There's no clothing whatsoever. So he's on top of his elephant or his horse like a Maharaja. And he's there absolutely cull and naked. 
He's got nothing on his body. But now everybody doesn't want to admit because we now are too scared to tackle the elephant in the room. Not just the king who's an elephant on his own, but the, with a bigger elephant with the right stupid and dumb people because we can't see this clock until one child, one masoon child from nowhere. No GDP, Uganda got nothing they've got. You know, to, to talk of note from a, from a continental or a global point of view. Until one child pipes up from somewhere, Sir, you naked, you got no clothes on. Or what are you going to call this child a fool? The child shouted out reality. The child shouted out and, and exclaimed reality, which nobody else wanted to admit because of various fears and phobias that there ever anybody needs to be on the forefront of exclaiming what is right and what is wrong. Whether those people listen or not, it is the Muslim Ummah. It is the Muslim Ummah that needs to be on that forefront that claims. And there are voices here and there, Alhamdulillah. One cannot discount it. But the reason is that there have been many questions about this month and the previous months for that matter. That, that the required Juma Bayan is not, you know, going to cut it. That where do you have this from? I mean, everybody knows from the from biblical times, from the time the Quran came down, Lut Salam's incident, it's found there, it's found in the in the Bible is found chapters in the Torah regarding this particular type of behavior. Where did the anti-militant type of movement come from? We can understand people have a problem with religion, but where did it come from and how did we reach such a level that we have corporate who only thinks about money? Let's care about the values of people, whether you're going to the right or the left or the mosque or the church or the synagogue, makes a difference for them. As long, doesn't make a difference as long as for getting them involved to such an extent. This is called second tier support. That where something becomes so acceptable and understandable in society, Corporate recognizes it that this is a potential market for us. This is a potential community. This is a potential market. Like where a particular sport that was absent from the community years ago now becomes popular to a point that you find this particular court springing up everywhere. And all of a sudden people now know names of players that they never even heard of the sport before. Now they become a guru in that particular type of, of sport. What are you doing? In the creation of that culture, you create a market. And as popular as the culture becomes, the market grows. That's how you get people involved in soccer. Well, more soccer balls, more tournaments, more TV rights, whatever the case may be. A counterculture is a identity for a business. And as soon as this loses fashion, and so it's replaced by something else, even if you have to take something which is a traditional sport, guli danda or something, you understand? Which nobody here knows about. If some children play in another continent, if that had to Gain popularity, you will see those very particular type of sticks or particular type of equipment or even holding tournaments, sponsoring tournaments. Why? Because this has now become a popular culture. That is the nature of da'wah. That is the nature of proclamation. A person proclaims batil, 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 false their entire life. It becomes an individual culture that becomes difficult to unroot unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides otherwise. You know, they can do whatever they do. They, they are destined to do whatever they are do. What's important for us as a discussion in this masjid on this Juma is a Muslim response. What do we do? Number one, reinforce the values of the house.
reinforce social Muslim social values before necessarily talking about anything which is evil. You see, you could talk about don't waste time, don't waste time, but unless you fill the void of time with something constructive, time will get wasted. That's the nature. Unless you don't fill your 24 hours with salah, with hard work, with all these things, you can be talking about not wasting time, how much you want to, but you're instructive in that 24 hours, so time will get killed and time will get wasted somewhere or the other. We could talk about the negativity that exists out there, sponsored by corporate, promoted by government, or any individual for that matter. But unless what is the, the apex or the alpha, which is the the value of the family, the Muslim family, which is not consistently enforced that you have a mother, you have a father. The father has a role, the mother has a role. Every child, depending upon their age, has a role. Everybody has got up for Fajr Salah till the time they go to sleep in the evening. Unless that schedule and that system is not put into place into the average Muslim household, then the void in time opens up the window and the door for shaitan for iblis that is a given that is a given in the in the household of anybody for that matter so hence the muslim values and also the role of islamic education when it comes to our kids we still have this culture a negative unfortunate culture that needs to break that unless the child is not going to a Muslim school, if they're going to a regular school, grade six and seven, no, you know what, they're too big now, too much homework, um, Saturday and Sunday, and you know, there's, there's this sporting types of events, fine. You want to take them there, but what are you replacing it with? It is only at that age when they're 14, 15, can they understand the subject like this? Can somebody open up this particular subject? Imagine opening up the subject to an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. They'll know what you're talking about, but it's practical negative implementation can only be understood with a certain level of maturity. And the reality is when that maturity is reached, the average Muslim parent, illa mashallah, does not have them in an environment of deen any longer because they've left their maktab, they've left their madrasa there. So who is going to teach if anybody else is not going to be there? So you're going to have to find a replacement for that. And that is up to the individual. That is up to the individual to capture these golden years. Imam Ghazali writes about these years, that the development of the character of a person takes place when? Between the ages of 13 and 21. When? Between 13 and 21. You're a good boy, most likely you were a good boy between 13 and 21. You learned any bad habits, whatever it was in society, most likely if you look back in your life, it was introduced to you between ages of 31. You became a smoker, age 14 life. Neither did you become a smoker at, uh, at age 5, unless your uncle gave you a pull every so once in a while in the cradle. It never happened. But 13 to 21 was the age wherein, that wherein you knew what type of foods I like or dislike. Whether I'm comfortable in my masjid or not, who are my friends? Or if not the individual friend, but what type of character or friend I incline to? All of that in that age group. But the irony is that when the extraction of that child from 13 to 21 takes place from a Muslim Islamic environment, and the only time that they come and know about anything associated with their deen is when once in a while you are here to listen to a full talk and a full bayan. Once in a while a program now happens. Once in a while. 
they got into a mood and somebody made them watch a certain Maliki. It's not structured. Never. It, 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 if it's not structured, it doesn't happen. It happens in a random way, like a hit and run type of a you know type of a setup. So that is the first. That is the second thing. After the actual structure of the Muslim family itself, that what is our time or the time of our children getting involved in? And number three. Right, number three. Restrict the usage of social media in our household. As much as we are users of social media from the ulama to down today to get our work done, to research our work, to put out good things that are out there, it is still something that needs to be vetted and restricted in the confines of one's house, whether you like it or not, like a vehicle. You'll make the nine-year-old go and drive for you. Some people actually do all that, but most likely you won't. You'll make a responsible person who's now not going to get into an accident, although it's a facility that's available for you, but you understand it comes with some responsibility. And if you're not there, you'll tell them to wait. If you're not there, you'll tell them to use check a 60 or whatever the case may be, but don't jump behind that wheel and go for a joyride because you know that you are unable to now handle this particular item. And even if you do make a safe trip, that hawat and that flavor that got in your mouth when you were behind that wheel is addictive to a point that the keys may be missing in the middle of the night because you've got that flavor. You know that your time will come, son. Your time will come and we'll make you run all the errands in the world to a point that you'll get tired of running to the airport and tired of running to the shop, your time will come, but not now. In a similar way, when it comes to our usage of that social media, it is important that a person understands that they need to regulate it in the life of their family. That's what we can do from a personal point of view. From a general point of view, protest by writing. Doesn't mean that a person is going to stand outside the shop. Protest by writing. You're a customer in this particular place. You spend many thousands of rand buying all their flavors of milk and their fresh cream and who knows what. You know, over the years, each day comes, they can only have this fresh cream. All other fresh creams are taboo. You have to have this one from this particular store. You've been a customer there for so long. How about your right of protesting? That you know what, listen here, whatever is the take of this particular company here, I am protesting that you are, that you are promoting something which is politically charged. It's not social charged anymore. It's politically charged. You're doing it for to be politically correct at this point in time. Even though 99.99% of the society doesn't agree with it. They're not even, you know, they're not even interested in it to begin with. So we are we are protesting your polit which has got no interest for that so-called community or us or anybody for that matter. You've done something. It's better than zero. But you've, done, you've created an element of protest which is good for the individual. That I, even though I know it to, to be wrong, me putting it into action is something good for me. You know, like niyat when you come for salah. What is the requirement of niyat? You have it in your heart. Allah Akbar, you now start, right? You had it in your heart, you made wudu, good enough. That niyat is good enough. But why when we were kids, 
And you know, sometimes we we in that habit, it's reinforced. No, say this. No way to I make intention that I'm coming for salah, even though you got the intention already. Because sometimes when a person attaches an action or call, a statement or a you know or, a, or an action to something that you're already gonna do, it becomes enforced in the mind of a person. And one of our great teachers, Rahmatullah, he mentioned this, it's like this, right? He used the he used the he used the volleyball in these days. He said, Listen here, when the ball is coming to you and two of you all are going towards it, one guy says, Chordo, leave it. It's a, it's a message, it's a message to him, the guy who's saying leave it, that I'm going to run for that ball. He comes with an extra level of commitment at that point in time, even though it seems by all players it's his ball at the end of the day. But that scream that he now made at that time gave him a, a boost of confidence to do a good job at that time. So similarly, when a person protests anything that is evil in society, although they know, their family knows, their grandfather knows that it is wrong, it now becomes a source of further motivation for the individual that Alhamdulillah, I've made my stance, I've reinforced what I already believe in, in the hope that the tree of that non-acceptance becomes rooted and deeper inside, you know, inside the ground. And, you know, my respected friends, the last outpost of haya and modesty in the world. We the last. We always were the first, but now we the last. If ever anybody acclaimed any support from anybody else, from the Nasara or the Yahud or any church, whatever the case may be, they may exist in a minority. Let's give them some credit here and there, you know, once in a while. But as a union, as a communion, or as a or, you know, as a global force, they have gone. The Muslims remain the only one. This is genuinely the sign of the last time. That when fitna will come in droves, one after the other, the only people will be left standing will be the mu'min, will be the, you know, will be the believer. And the fault of the believer, that he takes a respite from all these fitna and corruption that is happening outside, is the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes to the house of Allah, knows that you know what, the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may not be entirely immune from everything that is out there, but it will still be better than outside, it will still be better than the marketplace, it will still be better than anywhere else that fitan and corruption have made a surge. Therefore the culture of just walking in a mall, the culture of just walking around should end. What the, it is that very same place. Shaitan lays an egg, Shaitan hatches that egg, he grows his young inside there, not restricting the Sahaba Radhiman from going there, saying that you've got to do business there ultimately, it's not done anywhere else, you do it, but you do it with an intent and a purpose that this is not the place to hang around with. Modern culture in order to feed any fitna that they have created, including this one that I consistently allude to, including this one, use the marketplace as an important tool. Where a subliminal message, you just walking in that store to buy your, your underwear that you normally do before, you know, before winter comes. But the subliminal message that this corner has been reserved for a so-called community, you will pass by there.
You will pass by that. And if it is one store next year, you will see five and ten. And the preparation must be that it will go all the way till the end, that not one of them will stop until they feel that the only way we're going to be included and not excluded and not branded in any way is that if we include this type of pervasive negative behavior inside our brand marketing, it's going to happen. Start with one, it will always end with, with everybody else. A Muslim only operates in the places of the marketplace as per your need and necessity. It's not a place to hang around, not a place that I can kill the weekend inside there. Now look, we're speaking to a generation who already understands that. But that very same generation controls the purses and the pocket of the generation who doesn't understand that. They don't make their own money. The same people who want to hang around there, wants kids, do they, they don't make their own. The purses are controlled by somebody else. So if anybody now sits and complains that my child spent too much time in that particular mall, ask them, aren't you an enabler? Where did the money come from? You're an enabler here. You, who dropped them off? Did they take a Uber and a taxi and come? Did they walk and come? Maybe once in a while they did. But on average, mom is there listening to crocodile tears. And you know, uh, I need to go because the friends are going. Pick me up at this time. This is a reality. Hence, a believer needs to put their foot down and say, that listen here, whatever by way of comfort, you will find in your masjid, you will find in orts with me or with your friends on the front lawn or on the street, you will find it inside this house where there's reading material, there's study material, everything that's inside here already. The investment has already been made. Hence, this culture. What's one of the du'as? Allahumma barik li fi rizqi, that Allah give me barakah in my sustenance, this dua normally associated with when middle of wudu. If we have the kitab, the book, the sunnahs, there's a number of duas inside there which we should learn. There's one particular dua that a believer recites when in the middle of wudu. Allahumma barikli fi rizqi wa wasi'li fi dari. There's different variations of that, but this part I'm focusing upon. Wasi'li fi dari. That Allah give me expansiveness in my house. You know what the ulama say about expansiveness? It doesn't mean a big house. It doesn't mean a palace. It doesn't mean a mansion. It means that whatever I so need in life, I found it in my house. My house is big enough. The walls extend to the horizon. Another man who doesn't have that space, his walls literally extend to the other street. But it's like a coffin that the man is living in. But my house is a tiny matchbox of a house. But you have made it so wide that whatever I need by way of my personal desires, whatever I need by way of my rosy, whatever I need by way of my sukoon and my comfort, I find it inside here. The prophetic dua was si'li fi dari. That Allah make my house expansive for me so I don't have to go anywhere else. It is this time that a believer recites this dua. He's serious about it that Allah that keep whatever I require close to me so nobody in my family or me have to go out and get corrupted in any way.